The scripture reading comes from Proverbs 9, 1 through 10. Wisdom has built her house. She has set, set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. This is the word of the Lord. So verse 10 of this passage says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if you've read the Bible, you've heard that phrase before, this, this idea of fearing the Lord or fearing God. It's, this is a dominant theme that runs through really the whole Bible. Um, someone has tallied up that the Bible, the Bible uses the word fear with reference to God at least 300 times. Um, Psalm 25 verse 14 says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. Psalm 103 verse 13 says, the Lord has compassion on whom? On those who fear him. When Moses was giving instructions to the people of Israel in, in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12, this is what he said. He said, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So uh, again and again, in the pages of the Old Testament, we see God's people being told that they are to fear the Lord. And you, you also see this in the New Testament. Jesus, in, in Matthew 10, verse 28, he said, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, he said, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, Jesus said, fear God. God can throw you into hell. Fear God, Jesus said. Acts, Acts chapter 9, verse 31, we read that in the days of the early church, it says the Christians lived, quote, in the fear of the Lord. That's how early Christians lived. We read in uh, Hebrews 12, verse 28, Christians are told to, quote, serve God acceptably. How do you serve God acceptably? It said, with reverence and godly fear. Why? Verse 29 says, for our God is a consuming fire. So you'll see, you've seen phrases like this in the Bible, right? Again, throughout all of Scripture, again and again, we see this, this idea of fearing the Lord. And what I'd like to do with this thought today is just want to ask two questions about it. First, what does it mean? What does it mean to fear God? And then secondly, why is this so important for us? 
So we'll start with, with what it means. And it, it's common today when Christians maybe gather together for a Bible study or a prayer meeting and someone reads a verse about fearing God. It's, it's common today for Christians to say, well, f- to fear the Lord, that doesn't mean you're scared of God. That just means you respect Him, right? You, you've heard that before. And, and you know what? Technically, that's true. To fear the Lord does not mean you're scared of God. It does mean you respect Him. But listen, I think we, would you agree, I think we need to be very careful that we don't downplay the seriousness of what it means to fear God. Proverbs 8.13 says, to, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. Not just evil in the world, but evil in, in ourselves. Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13 says that the whole duty of mankind is, guess what the whole duty of mankind is? It is to fear God and keep His commandments. And it's, it's not that fearing God is a bad thing. Listen, Proverbs 19.23 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life. It, whoever has it, it says, rests, satisfied. Wouldn't you want to just rest? And be satisfied. It comes from the fear of the Lord. So in the Bible, yes, this is not telling us to be traumatized by thoughts of God or try to run from Him or flee from Him. It does mean to reverence and respect Him. But it means more than that. To fear God, yeah, I would put it this way. It means you take God very seriously. Those, those who fear the Lord, they don't, they don't trifle with God. They're not glib or flippant in their thoughts about God. And, and, and those who fear God, they never treat His commands as optional. This is one thing you'll find when you read the Bible. is You read the stories of Scripture. Men and women who fear God, it, they always take God's Word very seriously. We've, we've all seen... Uh, We've all seen families where, you know, for whatever reason, the parents maybe have not been very consistent in their discipline of the children. And, and very often in, in families like these, the, the, kids, the kids don't really take the words of their parents very seriously. You know, little Johnny is he's sitting on the floor of the living room. He's playing video games, right? And his mom comes in and says, Johnny, turn off the video games. Wash your hands. It's time for dinner. And Johnny just sits there and keeps playing video games, right? Why? Because he's thinking to himself, well, she only told me once, right? That doesn't count. She has to come into the room at least five times, repeat herself ten times, raise her voice, stomp her feet. It's not until she said it many times that her words matter. If she only says it once, it doesn't count, right? Well, listen, sadly, there are people who treat God's Word that way. I recall years ago I was in a conversation with a young woman who went to the same Christian college that I had attended, and, and she was at a stage in, in, in life where she's just kind of wrestling with, with the claims of authority that the Bible makes over, over our lives. And, and I'm not knocking her. It's good to wrestle with those claims of authority. But I, I remember her saying to me in kind of a defiant tone, she said, do you, realize, do you realize there are only four places in the entire Bible where it says that homosexual behavior is wrong? Only four. Now, there are actually six. But she said there are only four places. And, and, and the thought that immediately came to my mind is, well, what if there were only one? How, how, many, how many times does God have to say something before it counts? Does he have to repeat himself 10 times, 15 times? And, you know, do we take his word seriously? Let, let's, let's think of it this way. What if, what if there were only one place in the entire Bible 
where God's people are commanded to show kindness and welcome to immigrants. There are actually, there are dozens of places like that, but what if there were only one? Would that be enough for us? Or, or what if, what if the only place in the entire Bible where we are told to forgive those who have hurt us, were, were Matthew 6, verse 14 and 15. You know there are lots of verses like that, but what, what if in the whole Bible we only had one place, Jesus stands up and he says this. He says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You know, if, if he only said it once, how would we respond? Would we, would we be like little Johnny with his video games? Like, yeah, he only said it one time. doesn't count. He didn't repeat himself. He didn't stomp his feet. He didn't raise his voice. Listen, I, the, the reason I'm saying this is because you'll, you'll understand, men and women who fear God, they never treat his word that way. They never do. In, in, Isaiah, in Isaiah 66, verse 2, the Lord said this. He said, these are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit, and who tremble at my word. What a vivid phrase. I wonder if anyone who knows you well would describe you as, as someone who trembles at the word of God. So if, if we fear the Lord, what does it mean? Well, it will, it will be seen in the way we treat God's word. All right? It will also be seen in the way that we treat other people. You see, the Bible, the Bible teaches us, you probably know this, the Bible teaches us that all people everywhere are created in the image of God. doesn't matter who they are. doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what they believe. It doesn't matter how they're living. Every human being everywhere is created in the image of an infinite, eternal God. And so because of that truth, if we fear the infinite, eternal God, it will affect the way we treat people who were created in his image. For, for example, Leviticus 25 says that the way we respond to the needs of the poor hinges on whether or not we fear God. Isn't that something? The way we respond to the needs of the poor hinges on whether or not we fear the Lord. Here's what it says in that chapter. It says, if any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, help them so they can continue to live among you. Do not take interest or any profit from them, but fear your God. The fear of the Lord changes the way we Respond to poverty around us. Proverbs 14.31 says, Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Another example of this, this idea, Leviticus 19 says that the way we treat people who have physical disabilities and the way that we treat the elderly is impacted by whether or not we fear God. Verse, uh, verse 14 of that chapter says, you shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. In other words, help and care for those who have physical disabilities. Why? It says, you shall fear your God. Verse uh, 32 of that chapter says, you shall stand up before the gray head. I love that verse. 
You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. So isn't that interesting? The, the Bible says that there's a direct connection between whether or not we fear God and how we treat people who are created in the image of that God. If, if, if we fear God, listen, we will care about people's financial needs, we will care about people's physical needs, and we will care about their spiritual needs. The Apostle Paul told us that one of the reasons that he and his colleagues uh, were, were so passionate about sharing the gospel with people who had never heard of Jesus is, is because, he said, because they feared God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul wrote this, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others, for Christ's love compels us. He said, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So I think the apostles, if, if they were here, they would tell us that this is the logic they were following. When they, when they went out into their world and they saw their neighbors, they recognized that each and every person they saw had been, been endowed by God with an undying soul. That every person they met would spend all of eternity either in the presence of God and his joy or in the presence of God's wrath and his torment. And they would recognize that every person they met had been created in the image of God. And if they would just trust in Jesus, they would be accepted into God's family. And they, so they said, because we fear God, this God who cares so much about our neighbors, we want them to know Jesus. See, the fear of God... It changes the way you treat people. This is why um, this, uh, this wonderful Christian author, Johanna Reardon, she wrote this. She said, this is why hearing that someone is God-fearing actually makes us trust that person more. If they fear God, she wrote, they will be more likely to keep their word and they will be more likely to treat others with kindness. So if you ever wake up one day and you look out your window and there's a U-Haul truck in front of your building and, and you see people moving into the apartment next door to you and you're thinking, oh, I wonder who these new neighbors are going to be and someone says to you, oh, I know those people. They fear God. If that ever happens to you, you just kind of breathe a sigh of relief. Like, whew, these are the kind of neighbors I want. God-fearing people care for others. They, the, way they, the way we treat God's word, the way we treat God's people is changed by this. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? I'll just close with this portion of it with this. I love there's a Christian counselor named Sherry Alchin. Here's the way she summed it up. She said, what is the fear of God? It is, it's living with an acute awareness of God's loving hand in every area of my life, guiding me through the revealed word of God. And recognizing that only when I trust and obey God can life have true meaning and purpose for me. And then she said this. She said, to fear God is to love God so intensely that I fear doing anything that might grieve Him. I wonder if that would describe your heart today. You, you love God so intensely you fear doing anything that might grieve him. That's what it means to fear the Lord, to take him very seriously. Now, second question, why, why is this so important for us? Well, the passage that, that Kim read for us before is from the book of Proverbs. And some of you know that the book of Proverbs is a book that's all about what? Anyone? 
It's about wisdom, right? And, and, and wisdom, you know this? Wisdom, wisdom in the Bible, it has nothing to do with how smart you are. It's not talking about your intelligence, not talking about your IQ, it's not talking about how far you went in school. In, in the Bible, wisdom is this ability just to make good decisions. Maybe you've known people like that. They weren't very well educated, but they just consistently made good, um, healthy, life-giving decisions. That's what wisdom is, to make good decisions, especially in those areas of life where it's not always clear exactly what you should do. So if you read the book of Proverbs, you'll find that people who possess wisdom, they plan carefully and realistically without being overwhelmed by fear of what might happen tomorrow. There's just this, this ability to, to interact with the future in ways that's, that's, that's constructive and, 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 uh, and life-giving. People who are wise, you'll see that they also, they respond well to difficult people. How many of you have some difficult people in your life? Wisdom just shows you how to respond to that. I saw you shaking your head, Wenjing. I'm, I'm sure you're not talking about uh, how sitting next to you. you know, but. Um, so you just know how to respond in difficult situations when you have wisdom. Pe people who are wise in, in, in Proverbs, they, they, uh, they invest their time and energy in things that are going to last. Right? They, they, invest, they invest their efforts on things that will matter um, on their deathbed. Right? That's wisdom. And, and one thing else you'll find in Proverbs about those who are wise People who have wisdom, according to the Bible, they flourish in community. They're just, their lives are wealthy in relationships, friendships, relationships that just, just bring life to everyone. So all of, this, all of this comes from possessing wisdom, okay? Now, in this passage, wisdom is portrayed metaphorically as a woman. That's the picture here. Wisdom is a wealthy woman who prepares an exquisite feast, and then she invites anyone and everyone who is interested to come and join her at her banquet table. You see that in verse 1 through 6. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point in the city, let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food, drink the wine I have mixed, leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Isn't that a beautiful invitation? Uh, she's, she's just, Lady Wisdom stands up at the highest point of the city where everyone can see, where anyone can hear, and she says, listen, Anyone and everyone in the world is invited. Come to my home. Feast on the life-giving wisdom of God. Now, if you're like me, you can probably look back on, on things in your life that you, you don't feel good about. Maybe um, certain things that are now have proved to be important and you were kind of, they, you neglected those areas of life. Or, or maybe some decisions you made that, you know, they, they, looking back, they seem to have been ill-advised. And if you're, if you're like that, you maybe say, you know, I just, I look back and I wish that I had had more wisdom back then. Okay? So if, if you've ever felt that way, I'm, I'm sure you just kind of appreciate the invitation that Lady Wisdom 
makes in this passage. She, she stands up there in public and she shouts out to the entire world and she just invites everyone, come to my feast, come to my feast. Wisdom is for you. In other words, this, this is a poetic way of just saying the life-giving wisdom of God is freely offered to everyone. If you look at the flow of this passage, however, there's a problem that's introduced. Verse, verse 1 through 6 is this beautiful invitation. This, this, this wealthy woman named Wisdom is inviting us all to come to her, to her feast. And then in verse 7 to 9, we realize that even though everyone is invited to come and receive wisdom, here's what we find out. Unless you already possess wisdom, you're not very likely to respond to that invitation. That's, that's, that's what you read. Verse 7 to 9 says, Whoever corrects a mocker, mocker means somebody who's lacking in the wisdom of God. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers. Don't even bother to invite them to the feast. Do not rebuke mockers or they'll hate you. Rebuke the wise and they'll love you. Instruct the wise and they'll be wiser still. Teach the righteous. They will add to their learning. So this is kind of the problem, the dilemma that's explained in this passage. The very people who need wisdom the most are the people who are least likely to respond to wisdom's invitation. Those, those, uh, those who already have wisdom, when wisdom calls, they come, they get more. Those who are lacking in wisdom, when wisdom calls, they turn a deaf ear and they go the other way. It's kind of this, this sort of this feedback loop. If you, if you lack wisdom, when wisdom calls, you don't recognize the call. And, and then you, be, you become even more foolish. And then when wisdom calls again, you, you don't, you're even less able to hear the call. It's just this feedback loop. It's, it's just how, do you, how in the world do you get out of this? You, you, wisdom calls, but you ignore the call. Wisdom calls again, you ignore the call. How would anyone ever break out of that cycle? How would you ever start on the path to wisdom? Verse 10 gives the answer. It all starts with the fear of the Lord. The, 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 the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When, when you begin to fear God, in other words, when you begin to take God seriously, all of life starts to change. I wonder if any of you, if that would describe your life story, or if you've known people like that, they would just say, you know, my life was one stupid decision after another. I was just getting farther and farther in, in, into folly, and then something happened to me. I started to take God seriously. I began to fear Him, and everything started to change then. That's, that's what Proverbs 9, verse 10 is saying. It's saying that when you begin to take God seriously, all of life starts to change. Years ago, someone wrote a letter to the evangelist Billy Graham uh, to ask him a question, and the question that this person wrote was, how is my life going to change if I start taking God seriously? They wrote, I want to, but I'm not sure what would be expected of me because I've not met many real Christians. I know lots of casual Christians, but not many who take it seriously. How would you respond to a letter like that? Well, uh, Reverend Graham began by just 
kind of acknowledging and bemoaning the fact that there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians, but they don't really take God seriously. He just says this is, this is a tragedy. And then he addressed this person's question, and here's what he said. He said, if, if Jesus Christ was who he said he was, if Jesus Christ was who he said he was, the divine Son of God, and if he did for us what he claimed to do, dying on the cross for our sins and rising from the dead to give us eternal life, he said, then how can we take him casually? He said, we, the answer is we can't. So he went on, this is why I urge you to take Jesus Christ seriously, so seriously that you turn to him in faith and trust and commit your life to him. He went on, what will happen if you do this? First, God will forgive all your sins and he will make you a member of his family forever. In addition, God himself will come to live within you by his Holy Spirit so that you can walk with him every day. God will also set your feet on a new path in life, living for Christ instead of for yourself. And then he closed with this. I love this. What will happen if I start taking God seriously? He said, most of all, God will surround you with his love. In, in, in other words, Graham was saying, if you begin to fear the Lord, the door to wisdom's banquet hall will open wide for you. You will come in and seat, take your seat at the table and you will begin to feast on the goodness of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, I'd like to just pray for us. Um, if you don't mind me praying for you, I, I, I kind of feel like a message like this, we just need to ask God to do something that only God can do. Only God can do this. I can't do this for you. I don't think you could even do this for yourself. What we need when we're, we're, we're contemplating the fear of the Lord, we need revelation. We need the Holy Spirit just to show us the degree to which we fear the Lord and the degree to which we don't. Just make it clear for us. And then we need to ask him to give us a gift to grant us a healthy, real fear of the living God. So if you don't mind, I'm going to pray that for myself and for you. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I just begin by confessing my folly and our folly that many times that we really haven't taken you seriously, where perhaps we would not be described as God-fearing people. And I ask that in your kindness today, your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to recognize that the degree to which we don't really fear you today. And I pray that you'd give us this gift. The fear of God is not something to be, to, to be dreaded. The fear of God is something that brings life. And I pray that you would give that to us in such a way that it would drive us to the feet of Jesus, to the banquet table of God. 
Do that for each one of us today, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen.